Tom Sumner program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint. You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? You're lucky, Dean. <laughs> Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. And welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. I'm going to talk with the author of a book that has already become an Amazon bestseller. It's called Pieces of Wood, but a lot went into the telling of this story. And we're going to hear from the author, Kenneth James Moore, who joins me by phone. Kenneth, welcome to the show. Tom, thank you very much for inviting me. Um, I want to start first with uh, just a little background on you. You were born in uh, Tacoma, Washington, graduated from Arizona State University, continuing your education as a graduate student at Georgetown University, where uh, political science and international relations became your calling. You, met, you were mentored by a former professor who was a Cold War counterintelligence officer, and you spent a year alongside uh, Admiral Bobby Inman, the director of the National Security Agency, during its reconstruction phase. Um, but then you suffered a horrible car accident, and in the wake of that, did what we all do, recovering from a a near-death experience, you decided to go exploring the Pacific Rim to find out what happened to your uncle in World War II. (laughs) Is, is that, does that kind of, kind of get us to, to now? Pretty much. I uh, was an investment banker at the time of the accident, and, uh, Fortunately, I, I survived the accident. Fortunately, I had enough money set aside for uh, for retirement, and I used that for uh, to try to try to maintain a um, a promise I made to my mom when I was eight years old that I was going to 
find her uh, missing brother, her youngest brother, uh, a B-29 bomber pilot who never came home, uh, who, according to the to our U.S. government, simply vanished without a trace. And that was kind of a, a novel scenario because, well, as I investigated further, uh, at, given my background, I, I had I'd been uh, uh, instructed and, uh, and taught how to uh, how to um, research, you know, not and not just go on on the surface, but we, what we call get down to the first generation of, of data, and uh, that's what I did for, gosh, almost uh, thirty years before I uh, actually set sail, if you will, and uh, went to the Mariana Archipelago. Uh, places called Tinian uh, and Saipan and Guam, and to uh, see what actually took place. So uh, it was uh, uh, quite an adventure, but in the process, I was looking for m my uncle, but in the process, had uh, come across a, a, an incredibly uh, uh, difficult scenario, uh, basically uh, an Imperial Japanese killing field where they had installed the crematoriums, and uh, uh, I'd actually crawled into one inadvertently. So, was, and that's uh, where the title of the book comes from: "Pieces of Wood," which turned out to, which turned out to not actually be pieces of wood. <laughs> well, that's uh, you know we've all grown up with with the uh, the horrors of the Nazi regime, but uh, the other side of the uh, World War Two equation. Uh, yeah, they, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, <coughs> excuse me, the, um, the Nazis referred to their uh, victims as uh, uh, vermin and, and uh, uh, a subspecies, if you will, whereas the Japanese had a, had a specific uh, name for uh, the female victims, and they called them, uh, I think it's samuku, pieces of wood. And how did you come about discovering this in a search for your uncle? Rather inadvertently, obviously. Uh, again, that was the primary objective: was trying to find data, trying to find some you know, evidence after you know forty six uh, sixty years at that juncture uh, of what happened. But I guess I must say that in the Mariana Archipelago, it's uh, World War Two is pretty much. Uh, what it was. It uh, looks many places. It looks like somebody just turned the key and walked away. Uh, I'm referring to landmines, hand grenades, all sorts of fun stuff. Um, but we were uh, we were told that there was a B-29 up on top of a, of a mountain called Mount Tapacha, and um, we figured, well, maybe we could uh, find some data there pursuant to a crash site per se that uh, we would not be able to find underwater or in the water because that's what I after all the research that's what I concluded that it, it had to have gone down in the water so um, yeah we climbed the mountain and it's uh, the jungles in the Mariana Archipelago uh, at least on Saipan and, and Tinian uh, I think the, uh, the CIA refers to them as the most intense jungles on the planet and they are I mean you can literally be standing next to someone they're talking to you but you can't see it uh, it's very bizarre, but nonetheless, and uh, it's just nothing but vines, by the way. 
but uh, as you go through, as we were making our way to the top of Matapachu and across uh, uh, Caldera's Plain, you know, when a, a volcano erupts, the, uh, the material goes into the air and then settles down onto a generally a relatively flat plain, and that's where these uh, uh, these incinerators, these human incinerators, were. Uh, Somebody had spent a lot of time building these things, and there was two that were standing when we were there. Uh, but they, uh, there was a whole field of, of broken bricks and um, a scarred earth, and uh, it was. Uh, I, I, some of my guys were ex special forces people. They were, you know, we had uh, people. My volunteers came from all around the world. Uh, I had uh, South African special forces guys, for example. But and everybody was just shaken up by this. I mean, it was really uh, a traumatic thing for us. But nonetheless, we're going through the woods. I'm looking for the. We're looking for the um, the B29, and there's this large orifice. So I thought, well, maybe this is what. You know, maybe they blew a hole. Somebody blew a hole in the side of the B29 and crawled into it. Well, um, first thing I came across was the, ins the inscription of the. Uh, people who actually built it and um, over my left shoulder and the uh, the grids if you will um, I, I laid on these grids and I, I tried to pick one up and there's like 250 pounds and there's four of them so uh, there was no way this was an airplane so it uh, turned out as I kind of scratched through the surface that I would see different pieces of multicolored cloth or uh, lots and lots of little tiny shoes and um, uh, lots of sake bottles and they, uh, uh, it, was, uh, it was difficult. It turned out to so, be the remnants of people that... Yeah, exactly. And there was a plaque there, uh, think about this for a second, a Christian missionary from North Korea. He actually carried this plaque down uh, to the Marianas and set it up there. And the plaque says, yeah, 5,000 women were barbecued here. Pardon me, that's a paraphrase, of course, but um, yeah. And it's just like right there. Wow, really? <laughs> did, you ever find yeah, the, did you ever find the plane? Oh, yes. Yeah, we found my uncle's plane, absolutely. Um, the following year. 1999, we found the plane. 1998, we found the, uh, the ovens. Now, this practice was not widely reported on. I, I mean, as you pointed out earlier, Kenneth, the, uh, you know, we, we think of uh, crematoriums um, at the uh, um, concentration camps in Germany, but mm -hmm. we, we don't really hear the stories of of that was and that's, were people just just stunned and surprised by what you had discovered there i think it was just so overwhelming that our governments and others that were directly involved the, the australians they just didn't want to deal with that they just kind of put it under the rug and uh, said hey you know um this is just so violent. We, we've gone through this epic uh, war, and uh, there's so much loss, so much damage. I just think, yeah, just kind of shove it under the table and 
or under the rug and see what happens. But my point is that you can't keep stuff under the rug. That, by the way, the rug is really overcrowded. It needs to come out. You need to look at it, and you need to say, hey, this actually happened. And if it's not seen, you know, that's the old adage that history will repeat itself. That's what I try to point out in Chapter 1 of Pieces of Wood, is that, yeah, this, these things escalate. And all it takes is some some group of people saying, oh, well, it's, it's, this, it's the women. And, well, yeah. It, I think violence against women, frankly, is a pandemic far more dangerous than COVID-19. I noticed your, uh, your, uh, your pursuant to saying um, that's a good idea. Thanks for putting, out, putting that out into the world. But it's far more damaging and difficult to stop than AIDS, SARS, or even a bubonic plague. I mean, uh, I can rattle off a bunch of statistics, but I'll uh, hit a few. It's, uh, uh, you know, the FBI says that uh, uh, there's a rape every six minutes and four women are killed by their batterers every day. Uh, my, according to the United Nations Development Fund for, rural, for Women, worldwide, worldwide, an estimated four million females each year are sold into slavery. I mean, good God, man. In one of my... One of the things that freaked me out during the research was uh, uh, in Canada, the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, the National Police Force, said 45% of all women will experience some form of violence before the age of 16. Seriously, that's a pandemic, man. That's, that is just way out of control. And how can a society ever develop itself? Uh, no society can prolong itself or advance beyond its developmental years when one half of its population uh, are, sub, are, are subjugated or meant to few, view themselves as less than the other half. Above all else, pieces of wood must be seen as a warning to current generations that if life isn't shed on the horrors of the past, history, as I just indicated a few moments ago, uh, will repeat itself. And, you know, it, this was huge. Uh, we all know about the landing on Normandy. That was a, a, a battle plan planned out and executed. Well, there was a battle plan just that same way, if you will, uh, by the Imperial Japanese to, uh, well, to subjugate uh, young girls, a best, an estimate of 2.2 million girls, so-called comfort women, were torn from their parents' arms, transferred to barracks across the world, raped, tortured, passed around. I mean, it just was barbaric beyond anything you know and again we all have seen the, the uh, Schindler's List or to hunt for private uh, saving private Ryan etc sure but uh, the level of barbarity uh, yeah the Nazis were fanatics but the Imperial Japanese were, bar bar were barbarians uh, yeah and one the primary difference between the two is that the Nazis didn't eat their victims the Imperial Japanese did Kenneth, I have a break coming up here. Can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more about this? Of course. All right. My, my guest is uh, Kenneth James Moore. He is the author of a book called Pieces of Wood, where he uncovers something completely unexpected while looking for what happened to his uncle in World War II uh, in the Pacific Rim. We'll... Um, let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well, then we'll be right back.
Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Vi from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Hello. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. 
Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue my conversation with the author of a new book called Pieces of Wood, Kenneth James Moore. Kenneth, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. Oh, my pleasure, Tom. Um, now, we were talking in the last segment a little bit about how you discovered what you discovered that became the book, but how did the, the decision to write this book evolve? In 1981, um, I was watching television and uh, there was these commercials about um, you know, women being uh, attacked and uh, you're supposed to reach into your purse and pull out a gun or pull out mace. And I, I was a rather serious martial arts uh, instructor for many years and it, that just offended the living heck out of me. I, you know, essentially, you're either raped or dead at that point because these things happen in a millisecond. So I thought what was known at the time as the very first self-defense for women course and uh, it was sanctioned by the YWCA and I, I taught it at the University of Maryland campus in College Park, Maryland. And it, uh, it was successful enough, we didn't charge for it. Uh, it was, uh, I think I had it at the time, it was a four-week course. I then went back to my, my normal business and then uh, uh, pass it to one of my senior uh, female instructors who carried it on from there. But, um, but that's kind of where this thing started for me. It's like my mom and dad never they didn't hit each other or anything like that. Um, it just was just so profound for me that because you know I, I'm good sized guy. I've always been a bodybuilder, martial arts expert, etc. And so I don't think about those things. But it bothered me that half the the population is walking around going, geez, I better hold my keys this way, or, you know, I, I always have to look over my shoulder. That's just crap, and that, that really, really disturbed me. But I, you know, I was an investment banker. I moved on in life, and uh, um, and then I came across these, uh, these what we call the ovens, you know, these, <laughs> uh, and they indicated this, these were probably built in 1932, 31, I mean, because they were very intricate. If you look at the first uh, photos, photographs in the book, uh, you see that they are uh, uh, the the bricks are refractory bricks that you know maintain heat, and then these things were then covered over with the uh, uh, cement, and then more bricks on top of the cement. Uh, and this was very detailed work. Uh, so it. Uh, uh, this was set out. This was a plan, and, and it and it didn't have anything to do with World War II necessarily. Although you discovered it while looking for um, your uncle's plane, who uh, which went down in the area. Correct, but indeed it had to do with World War II because again, you know, we think about Pearl Harbor, and that was the start of the. Uh, the uh, World War II from the uh, eastern side. That's not true. Uh, it was actually in 1920 that the uh, Imperial Japanese Court had put together a, a program uh, to attack us. And this was all set out to, for, many for many decades prior to the execution of it. 
uh, it's um, so these these ovens kind of are, are reflective of that fact because they were put into place probably in the 30s, the early 30s, and um, you know used to hey this is a good place so when we execute our plan we can destroy the remains. That's what they did. So you discover these things. Um, was right. it was it just burning cure? No pun intended. Curiosity that that led you to want to find out more about them, and then ultimately share the story through this book. Um, or um, what what was driving you at at that point? Well, again, I kind of reflected back on my 1981 experiences, and this is 1999, 1998 now, uh, when we discovered the others. But, uh, yeah, it, it was just profound to me that, again, that, you know, that women are so abused. It just, I've always enjoyed the company of women, to be candid, and I've always felt more relaxed around women than with my members of my own gender, but... Uh, um, yeah, it's uh, it's just well, I'm a, I'm a human being for God's sakes, and you know this is this is just horrific. Uh, as I indicated, that uh, the Imperial Japanese didn't just uh, kill; they uh, they consumed their victims. Uh, it's really off the charts for me. Yeah, that just how, how did you how did you research? what was going on with this and did you form any opinions about why american um intelligence or american media hadn't picked up and and talked about this uh more well specifically i, I believe i tried to uh, suggest earlier was that um, we just went through the most cataclysmic event in the history of mankind world war ii was epic and they call it World War II because, indeed, it involved pretty much every corner of the world. And so when you, when you come to the, the point where you, where you see these really bizarre stuff, well, as, uh, and I also have to point out that uh, this is, uh, excuse me, it, uh, it's still a little difficult from time to time to discuss this stuff, but... Um, these, you know, we all, the, the French, the Germans, with the exception of ourselves, had colonies throughout the East. And so the, I, I, we get the opinion that these were just Oriental women or just uh, Filipinos or uh, Koreans, what have you. No, they, we all had colonies there. The Dole, the Dole uh, Fruit Company, for example, um, there was nurses, teachers, fruit farmers, as I just said. Um, these were all, all collected and destroyed, used and destroyed um, at will. <laughs> Any sense that, that, um, that there was some kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, American political agenda to... to not draw too much attention to these things because it would then put a spotlight back on uh, the use of nuclear bombs on Japan? 
that's, that's a completely different subject, and I'm, I'm very uh, well-versed in that subject as well. But the fact of the matter is that the Imperial Japanese started World War II, not the Germans. The Imperial Japanese did. And with regard to uh, this distribution of the atomic bombs, well, uh, suffice to say, it, uh, the world would be a very different place. It would be also... Uh, yeah, and I, I'm, Kenneth, I, and I, I'm not bringing that up to to make any kind of statement for or against the use of uh, nuclear bombs on those occasions, but I just okay. wondered if, from a PR standpoint, they said, "Ah, let's let's not talk about these Japanese atrocities because they'll just point the finger back at us anyway." Respectfully, Tom, I can't go down that road. That doesn't make uh, that doesn't jive with me. I'm okay. Sorry. Well, that's that's why I'm asking. You know what what your what your thought is on that because it just seems uh, so unfathomable that that these atrocities didn't get more attention than they did. There's no question about that. But again, we just went through this huge war, a global war, and everyone was, you know, on edge, and we we made it through, thank God, and you know, it uh, it worked out to the advantage of the democratic societies of the, on the globe. But uh, it uh, it was just something I, I think, and this is my opinion, that. Uh, it was just too much. It was just too much. You didn't want to hear about cannibals, for God's sakes, and you know, after <laughs> uh, after all this stuff, and you know, the, the we sacrificed so much. Uh, uh, these w- women in the fifties, or sorry, the women in the forties and thirties, they would they would uh, <clears throat> they. Uh, Contributed their their nylons, for example, and people went around p- picking up popcorn cans and or uh, uh, tried to find any way possible to get another fourteen dollars to buy another uh, war bond. You know, it and fourteen dollars was a lot of money in those days. But you know, collecting Coke bottles, all this kind of stuff went on. And so when you hear about something as barbaric as what the Imperial Japanese in, uh, involved in the Southwest. Yeah, you know, it, it's just too much. It was just too much, and I truly believe that was the reason why it just swept under the rug. But indeed, it can't remain under the rug. And I have to also point out the fact that uh, uh, this, isn't, this isn't just a story, uh, this isn't just factual reporting, this is just, uh, it, it's also a story about... Um, International crime, international crime of violence against women, and it's uh, it, it is a uh, a novel per se. Uh, my characters are uh, two FBI agents and a retired Marine colonel, and they uh, try to track down these uh, sons of the rising sun, if you will, the sons of the men that did this stuff to uh, the Chinese and to the Asians, who are trying to bring it to the United States. Kenneth, one of the things that makes this book so important and such a such a good read is that you really use this historical atrocity to wake people up to 
a, a trend in behavior toward women historically. Right. Yes. As I said, uh, well, I think one of the things that shook me up the most was that the 45% of all women in, in Canada are subject to violence before the age of 16. That's just a recent RCMP report. Uh, well, it's a couple years old, but nonetheless, that's that's traumatic. And we normally think of the Canadians as being very mellow, but uh, <laughs> that's a very severe uh, percentage. It is, and, and it's it's almost as hard to believe as, as what you found on Saipan. Yeah, but it's all under the table. We have to stop this violence against women. It has to it has to ebb in some fashion where we just we have to recognize that again that half the half of the population cannot be feel like they're subjugated or mean to view view themselves as less than the other half. It, it doesn't make any sense. And it has to be recognized and I think that that's exactly what this thing, uh, what my novel is trying to do. It's trying to say, this can't happen again. And it did happen once, okay? There's a precedent in place. So uh, I think that's what I'm trying to, to tell people, and I hope that that, that message comes across, is that uh, uh, there is a precedent in place. This did happen, and it cannot happen again. And it starts with, one issue or one violence, one set of violence, and it escalates. It always does. Uh, and by the way, the, the Imperial Japanese Headquarters order was number 575. By, uh, <laughs> and that... It's really... I'm sorry. No, you, <laughs> you um, actually went right where I was going to try and lead you, and that was whether what you discovered was something rogue or something that that people were well aware of in the highest uh, ranks of uh, Imperial Japan. Oh, heck yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it, as I said, this is this the plan for World War II began in the 1920s in, in the Imperial Court. But the idea and, of, of cannibalism seems yeah. like it would be something that would happen you know, a group of soldiers went rogue or something. Well, uh, no. It was more of a, hey, uh, you eat them and you gain their strength. And it's also, it had been argued for quite some time that uh, we had cut off the Japanese uh, uh, areas of, uh, where, well, two in particular, Rabul and um, uh, Chichijima, which is a neighbor to Iwo Jima uh, in the Bonin Islands. Um, not a very pleasant place either, by the way. Um, uh, it, um, that was thought to be the reason. No, that wasn't the reason at all. It was because of the these, I really want to go into the religious aspects of this, but it, I, I dealt heavily into the, uh, uh, into the, uh, the Imperial Japanese mentality from their uh, religious standpoint, if you will. 
Um, and this was what they felt. This is what they thought was the right thing to do. And it wasn't just in these two locations, which was well known during World War II. Uh, our uh, President uh, Bush, H.W. Uh, Bush, would have been uh, uh, cannibalized had he uh, not been rescued off the coast of Chichijima. Uh, but the uh, reality is that this was widespread. In fact, there's a uh, um, there's a uh, a professor at the University of Australia who's a Japanese national, and he's the one that's been publishing this stuff as much as he can because it's been uh, put under the table. But yeah, he said it was widespread, and it was widespread. Uh, it uh, it's quite the phenomenon. Has there been any pushback uh, against you um, or this this book uh, for telling uh, these stories? Well, not yet, but maybe after this one, who knows? <laughs> maybe after this interview, who knows? no, no, there has not been. And, and how do you deny the reality of hardcore evidence? You don't. Well, uh, unfortunately, we, we see people denying reality an awful yes. lot these days. Um, yes, but that's, that's true. Thank you. But, that, but there's a, a, an important part of this book, and, and that is that in this, uh, what you call the age of women, um, mm -hmm. pieces of wood really kind of kicks open the the international door behind which the abuse of women has lingered as you put it for far too long and and that's certainly the case and perhaps it's it's something like this that that will help um with the kinds of uh, uh adjustments that we're trying to make as a society um is is that your hope kenneth is that what you're hoping to do uh, yeah, we, we talked earlier about uh, COVID-19 and the pandemic and the same, but this is a pandemic that's been going on forever. And, it, you know, uh, societies can't survive beyond the developmental stages, if you will, uh, when, again, that uh, you can't, one half of the population feels subjugated to the other. It doesn't work that way. Uh, it can't work that way in the long term. Yes, that's that's the objective. Look at this. This is an issue. This is a major issue. It has to be swept up from underneath the rug, put up on a on a on a pedestal, and stared at, and go, "Look, this actually happened." And again, it wasn't just Chinese. I mean, it was Aussies, uh, American nurses. Uh, were in Asia at the time, and you better believe they were the most targeted. So. Well, your your journey to the Pacific Theater led to two books: the Hunt for the Life of Riley, and uh, and now this book that we've been talking about, Pieces of Wood. Um, it, it, what's next for you, Kenneth? Is there another book in the works? Actually, uh, the Hunt for the Life of Riley is uh, will be has not been released. It's going to be oh. released in probably the next ninety days. It's okay. And then there's, it's basically a trilogy. Um, we had, um, uh, we had come across a, uh, <clears throat> another scenario 
uh, of the Imperial Japanese, and it, it needs to be told as well. <clears throat> but I tell it from the standpoint of uh, which was true. Uh, it's called uh, the Bucket Carriers, and that's going to be next year before that one's out. But uh, the Bucket Carriers was uh, a real phenomenon in the sense that uh, there was a, uh, a Marine um, sergeant from uh, Dorchester, Massachusetts, and imprisoned in this place called Bouchon Prison. And he was there uh, and became and befriended. Neither could he didn't speak uh, Cantonese or, or Mandarin. And the twenty-year-old uh, Chinese uh, uh, resistance fighter that uh, was also in prison there didn't speak English. So uh, these two guys partnered partnered up and snuck out of Wuxian prison, which was almost impossible to do. And they would sneak back in at night, and they put forth one of the largest resistance uh, organizations. This 20-year-old kid went around and told his people, told the people throughout China, this, you know, we have to fight against the, the uh, Imperial Japanese who were occupying the country, of course, and, uh, in the 40s. Well, these are they, uh, <clears throat> these are these are incredible stories, Kenneth. And unfortunately, we're we're almost out of time. We just have a couple of minutes okay. left. And I always want to give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Um, Kenneth, do you have a website? Sure. It's very simple. Kenneth James Moore. That simple. Excellent. Well, Kenneth, I. I feel like we've just scratched the surface uh, there this story and the stories you uncovered uh, have so many working parts that uh, I, I have yeah. a feeling we could talk about this all day but we have to uh, <laughs> we have to end it there but it's been a, a real honor and a privilege to uh, have yeah. you share what your discovery was and uh, to tell us uh, a little bit about what to expect in the book pieces of wood if somebody wants to buy the book directly, just it's www.piecesofwood.net. Excellent. Kenneth, thank you so much, and uh, keep up the good work. My pleasure, Tom. Thank you, sir. Take care. That was uh, Kenneth James Moore. He is the author of a book called Pieces of Wood. And uh, coming soon, The Hunt for the Life of Riley, all about his uh, experiences and things that he uncovered while trying to find out uh, what happened to uh, his mother's youngest brother during World War II and his exploration of the uh, Japanese theater, if you will, um, or the Pacific theater. Anyway, we're going to take a uh, short break. We'll be back with the final uh, segment of today's edition of the uh, Tom Sumner program. If you're listening to us on uh, WFOV, Our Voices Radio, uh, at 92.1 LPFM in Flint, they are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial, don't click that mouse. We'll be back with uh, the final segment of today's edition of the Tom Sumner program right after, uh, right after these messages. So, stay tuned.
Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now, and now too, and even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Bye from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. Today. Hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. 
MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. The uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. All the Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. I mentioned when I came out that I'm shorter than people think I am. And I'm not actually any shorter than I am, but um, I'm shorter (laughs) than people think I am. And I'm not too often mistaken, you know, for Bob Newhart. I'm more often mistaken for a guy named Fred Neff, whom I've never met, but (laughs) apparently I look like very much. And people will drive by and they'll yell, Yo, Fred, you son of a gun! Why don't you call a guy sometime? You know? And I run alongside yelling, I'm not Fred. I'm not, I'm not Fred. But, and it isn't, a, it isn't a big problem of any kind, but, you know, it, it is sort of strange. Every so often, you know, you're mistaken for Fred Neff. It could be, I think most of us have a double somewhere. You know, someone who looks like us, because there are only so many noses and eyebrows and, and hair to go around, you know, and you got to double up eventually, you know. And it isn't too much of a problem, I say, with me, but for someone who looks like someone famous, it could be a little bit of a problem. Like, uh, for instance, say there is a guy who looks exactly like Adolf Hitler. No fault of his, he looks exactly like Adolf Hitler. Now, every time he gets on a plane, he knows he's going to be bugged by some clown who sits down next to him, see? And every flight is going to go like this. Some clown will always come walking down the aisle like this. Oh, thank, thank, thank you very much, Stewardess. Oh, that's, that's fine, fine, thank you. Well, they're sure having beasts these days, aren't they? sitting next to me. <clears throat> Not, oh, he got out. I don't know how he got out. He got out. <laughs> so what's watch, wanted? Watch he's looking at us. <clears throat> yeah, uh, go up and tell the pilot to turn the plane back. It's Adolf. <clears throat> Adolf Hitler's on this flight. Go, go up and tell him. I keep him occupied here. Hi, Alfred. Er, uh, hi. Hi. <laughs> You're going, uh, going to New York, are you? It's nonstop, that's right. You'd have to be going to New York, wouldn't you? <laughs> that was sort of a silly question. <laughs> you uh, you live, live in New York, do you? Oh, your family there? Yeah, my wife is there. 
That, that's right, you never married. Uh, uh, not, not <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I was I was in uh, St. Louis. Yeah, I, I was going there for a uh, battalion reunion we, we were having. <clears throat> guys from World War II. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, we were we were all conscientious objectors. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> we didn't care who won. You know, we <laughs> we really didn't follow too closely to tell you the truth. Oh, here comes the stewardess. Uh, stewardess, can I have uh, a little breakfast? I see Adolf Hitler uh, sitting next to me. Stewardess, stewardess. <laughs> Hope you uh, spilled a spilled Nash there on your book. You don't want to burn your book. <laughs> oh, oh look, look at the little girl. Hi there, little girl. Well, what, what's your name? Su Susie, is that right, Susie? What, what are you playing? Playing jacks. Is, is that, could, could I play jacks with you, Susie? Huh? All right. Uh, what do I do? Just bounce this. Susie, that's Adolf Hitler uh, sitting next to me. <laughs> no, no, not Hitler. Adolf, Adolf Hitler. Yeah. Go, go up and tell your daddy. He, he'll know who it is. That's the way. <laughs> this is a, a cute, cute little girl, isn't she? <laughs> you, 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 think, you think I look like somebody? Richard Widmark. <laughs> I, I do that laugh sometimes, you know. <laughs> yeah. you, a lot of people mistake you for someone, do they? Who, who is that? Adolf Hitler. Do, do they really? Do you know, I, I can't, can't see any resemblance. <laughs> oh, the little mustache and the, the piece of hair falling in your eyes. You know. I guess a lot of people really make fools of themselves, don't they? <laughs> Yeah, the, cap the captain's coming back with a little girl, isn't he? Uh, <laughs> right, I, th I think I'll go back in the lounge, get a drink. N nice meeting you. All right, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> This was another Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program.
All the lonely people Where do they all belong? Oh, get all the lonely people Died in the church and was buried along with the name. Nobody came, Father McKenzie, wiping the dirt from his hands as he walks from the grave. No one was saved, all the lonely people. Where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? The lonely people, where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? Well, that wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Thanks for tuning in. I want to say thanks to all the guests, starting with uh, this last hour, author uh, Kenneth James Moore, now a bestseller. Uh, with his book Pieces of Wood, a novel based on actual historical events. Um, thank you, uh, Kenneth, for sharing that incredible story about your journey to the uh, Pacific uh, Theater in search of uh, your uncle uh, who was lost in World War II and some of the other things that you discovered. also want to say thanks to um, author Linda Cunningham talking about her novel, Early Thursday, A War, A Hurricane, A Miracle. And uh, we started out the first hour with uh, my good friend, my favorite uh, Oakland County activist, Pam Gerald. And uh, we played hosts to um, Amy Nima, who is the uh, CEO at uh, Haven, Oakland County's uh, only comprehensive uh, program for sexual abuse and uh, domestic violence anyway see you tomorrow good night everybody who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the flint area 
many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.